Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You are enough. Like, that's not true. And praise God, it's not because if I'm the one that I've been waiting for, like, I'm going to be really depressed. We are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly valuable, but it has nothing to do with our ability. That's right. It has nothing to do with like washing our face and standing up for our rights. It has to do that we are created in the image of God. Welcome to the Elisa Childers Podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation today. If you are a Christian parent, a godparent, an aunt or an uncle, a grandma, a grandpa, a youth pastor, basically, if you know a child, you need to listen to today's podcast. This isn't just for parents. We're going to be talking today about how to equip the kids in our lives to think critically about their worldview, to think critically about what Christianity is, what Christians believe, what's true about reality. And that will also help our kids as they navigate this world of hostility from culture, but also from gospels that aren't preaching the real gospel, from false gospels. I talk a lot on this channel about progressive Christianity, and we're going to help you today to be able to influence the kids in your life to think critically so that they'll spot things like progressive Christianity when they come their way. So I have an expert guest today, Elizabeth Urbanowitz from the ministry called Foundation, and she is going to help us navigate these topics. Elizabeth, so glad you're here. For people who aren't familiar with you and your ministry, just give us a, a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on today, Elisa. It's great to be here with you. Um, So my ministry foundation, what we do is we really seek to equip kids to understand the truth of the Christian worldview and to carefully evaluate every idea that they encounter, because there's a lot of great apologetics resources out there for parents and for pastors, for adults, which is awesome. But then sometimes we're not sure exactly how do we translate this down to the level of a child. And so that's the area of expertise that God has given me. I started my professional career as an elementary educator in a Christian school. And so now I just am so thankful for the opportunity to be able to equip others to get our kids thinking critically about the truth of the Christian worldview. And you do such a great job. Now, you have a master's in apologetics from Biola. So you have kind of an interesting mix in your education. You have elementary education degree. You have a master's in apologetics. So what was it that got you interested in providing worldview education for for kids? Yeah, it was a really funny combination when I was actually getting the master's degree, you know, because during the day I'm like singing the ABCs and you know, <laughs> coloring and gluing. And then, you know, in the evening I'm writing about the Kalam cosmological argument. And for a while I was like, who am I? Right. <laughs> um, but really what got me passionate about apologetics 
was being in the classroom. You know, 10 years ago, I could not have even told you what the word apologetics meant. I had absolutely no idea. But several years into my teaching experience, I noticed that the students in my classroom, you know, they came from these great Christian homes where their parents were intentional about discipleship. They loved Jesus. They had them in a Christian school so that they would be getting a biblically based education. You know, I'm someone who loves Jesus and loves his word. And so I knew I was giving them a biblically based education all day long. Most of them were fairly involved in church and they could tell you all the Jesus answers. They knew all the Bible stories. But then when it came to the ways that they were thinking and the things that they were believing were true, I noticed they were just rapidly absorbing these ideas from culture without any question. There was actually Mm. um, three consecutive events that happened in my classroom that really made me pause and think, okay, what in the world is going on and what can I do about it? And the first one was kind of comical. I was teaching cursive handwriting to my students and I was walking around and I was, you know, like correcting them and saying, okay, you know, like you're making, you know, let's say it was a letter F, you know, saying, okay, you're making this loop the wrong way or like this needs to go below the line. And one of the girls I corrected looks at me and she goes, don't judge me. Was yes. I burst out laughing because uh-huh. here's this cute little eight-year-old like saying this phrase. And I took a moment. I said, okay, let's think about this. What does yeah. it mean to judge someone? To judge someone means to determine if something is right or wrong. Okay. Is there a right and a wrong way to make this letter F? And then she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, as your teacher, is it my job to tell you whether or not you're making this letter correctly? And she was like, yes. And I said, okay, then it's my job to judge you in this situation. Judging is a good thing. But I was like, wow, eight years old. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I just rolled off her tongue. Um, and then a couple of days later, a few girls came in from recess and they were like, miss you. We came up with a dance to a song at recess can we show you? And I was like, okay. And they did a sassy little dance to this Taylor Swift song. And the lyrics weren't like inappropriate, but they were just not very edifying. And I said, okay, you know, in class this year, how have we learned that humans are created? They're like, well, in God's image. I was like, okay, let's think about that. Mm. The words to this song, are they treating the, the boy in this song like he's created in God's image? And they were like, no, but it's okay because she's a Christian. Oh, and I was like, yes. no. Yeah, okay, that's the confusion, I'm, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yes. And so I was like, okay, like, why is this? Like, they know people are created in God's image, but it's not translating. And then kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back was I was teaching one day and I was using the smart board and the projector went on the fritz. So I gave the kids an assignment to do. And then I went to go fiddle with the wires of the projector. And while I'm fiddling with them, this one boy in my class goes, guys, this is so stressful. We totally need to meditate to stay calm. And so by the time, you know, like I get my bearings while I'm standing on top of a desk to fix the projector. So by the time I get my bearings and I turn around, half of my class is on the floor with their legs crossed and their arms like out to the side like this, you know, saying, um, um, Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my goodness. So I'm like, okay, everybody back in their seats. We need to talk about this. And, you know, I go into like how this type of meditation is not what the Bible describes. It comes from Eastern religions. And it was just kind of like this blank stare. And I was like, okay, something (laughs) needs to change. Something needs to change. And so that, you know, is what what made me realize, okay, I need to actually equip these kids to think well, because Mm. yes, they know all the Bible answers, but they don't know how to actually take an idea that they encounter and say, okay, is this true? Does this line up with reality? Does this line up with scripture? And so that's when I went on this search just 
to find materials that would equip me to do this. And I couldn't find anything for <laughs> elementary yeah. kids. And so that's when I learned what apologetics was and started diving deep into it. <laughs> yeah. And then here you are with a master's degree in apologetics, which is so great. But it's so interesting that you mentioned that she said, well, it's okay because she's a Christian. And I think that the confusion for so many Christian parents, this is a thing I sort of wrestle in the tension with as a mom of small kids, mm-hmm. is like, for example, my kids have their YouTube personalities that they love. And so my son, he just wants to know, like, is this person a Christian? And so he'll say, mm-hmm. oh, mom, such and such is a Christian. And I'm always really careful because what I don't want to do is enforce the idea that, oh, if they're a Christian, then you can just uncritically take in whatever they say. And especially right. with the work I do in progressive Christianity, I'm always thinking, well, what kind, what does that mean to them? What does yes. Christian mean? So the way I've chosen to sort of interact with that is to say, well, that's great, bud. I, I hope that he is a Christian because I, I want him to be a Christian. But that doesn't mean that you can't watch someone if they're not a Christian. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that doesn't mean that you should believe everything this person says because he says he is a Christian, you know? And that's when I talk to my kids, like a lot of stuff will say Christian on the book or it'll say it on the title or they'll say Jesus or I love Jesus or I love God. That doesn't mean they're a Christian. And so I'll ask more questions. Well, why do you think he's a Christian? And he said, well, he had a, he said Jesus. And then, you know, there's that opportunity to have that conversation where you're like, well, you know, Actually, there's other religions that that have thoughts about Jesus. And, you know, there's one, like you said, in I, I was watching some of your uh, curriculum, curriculum videos, and it's, you know, you're trying to teach kids, like, there's a difference between um, a, an opinion or a preference and then objective truth, which we're going to get into in just a moment. But the question I want to ask you, sort of on the back of what you were just saying with those three very specific experiences, is regarding that tension that especially so many parents are in, uh, mm-hmm. there's the temptation on one hand to say, no, you can't watch anything. And then there's the temptation on the other hand, just to throw your hands up and say, whatever, it'll all come out in the wash. So what are some practical strategies that you give, not just parents, but anybody who's influencing a young child? What are some practical strategies you give them to help our kids to think more critically? Yeah, I love the way that you phrase that, you know, not just protecting them from everything and also not just throwing them in. And the example you just gave with your son about actually asking him a question so that he actually has to think about his reasoning, like what makes me think this man is a Christian? You know, like Mm -hmm. what makes me think what he's saying is true? That's so key because one thing I always say to parents or to educators or to pastors is, you know, protection for our kids does not equal complete isolation. And it doesn't mean inappropriate exposure. What it equals is preparation. Mm. And really the key to preparation is giving our kids transferable skills that they can implement in any situation, you know, because we can't possibly prepare them for every single thing they're going to face on YouTube. (laughs) You know, we can't research it all ahead of time and prepare them, nor would we want to, because our kids are eventually developmentally going to reach a place where we can't monitor everything that comes their way. And so what we want to do is we want to be intentional about giving them transferable skills. Just an easy analogy I always give people is the analogy of reading. You know, when you teach a child to read, like, yeah, you could sit them down and you could have them memorize the shape of words and you could have them just memorize words, memorize words, memorize words. But 
But the the downfall to that is that child is then going to be limited by only being able to read the words that you have taught him or her. And so Mm. instead of just teaching children to memorize words, what we do is we teach them 26 letters and then we teach them how to combine those letters so that then they are prepared to read any word Mm. that they encounter. And so we give them those transferable skills. And that's the same thing that we want to do with training our children to think critically, you know, rather than just saying, okay, this is a bad idea, stay away from it. What we want to do is we want to expose them to the truth. We want to expose them to the teachings of the historic Christian faith. We want to expose them to scripture. And then we want to give them skills to be constantly asking, okay, is this idea true? How do I know whether or not it's true? How do I know whether or not it lines up with scripture? So if we can give them those transferable skills, and then like the example that you gave of asking questions, If we can get our kids to constantly be asking questions, that is a skill that's going to stick with them for the rest of their lives. Now, when they're young and they're in our homes, it's really annoying because sometimes (laughs) it's just like, just because I said so, like, do that now. (laughs) But if we can can weather that struggle, if if we're willing to weather the struggle of them constantly asking why or how do you know, then one day, you know, when they're outside the sphere of our not the complete sphere of our influence, but you know, when we're no longer the loudest voice in their lives, they're going to continually be asking those questions. Mm. Um, And that's exactly what we want for them to be doing. That's very good. And just from personal experience, again, this is something like, it's hard to get in the habit of doing that because as parents, we're so used to telling our kids what to do. Go here, go there, brush your teeth, put on your pants, brush your hair, go take a bath, wash your face. I mean, it's just an endless list of orders that we're giving our kids, it seems, all day long. And then they ask a question about God and the temptation. And I I have to find the balance of this all the time is just to give them the answer. But I have found Mm -hmm. from personal experience in the times when I've just sort of barked an answer or even told them an answer— um, they kind of like, you know, smile and nod, and then they can't wait to get away from me. But if I'll just slow down and take a moment and say, well, why do you think that? Or, you know, basically that's like the Greg Kokel tactics version of just saying, how did you come to that conclusion? We can do that with our kids. Like, well, why do you think he's a Christian? Or why does that part of the Bible, why do you question that part of the Bible? Or what is it about this that makes you come to that conclusion? And I have found that when I'll do that, that really engages my kids. And then they want to keep talking. And they want to come to me again, because they know they're not just going to get a lecture. And, you know, and I've talked to my daughter about that. I've just said, you know, I'm not going to give you a lecture. I want to know so that I can ask you how you how you came to that. And so I think that you know, of course, as parents, I think a lot of parents feel overwhelmed. They feel like mm-hmm. I'm doing a terrible job of getting everybody together for devotions because they have sports and they have all this stuff going on. And certainly it's so important for us to have those dedicated times of devotions and, and conversations about God. But also I have found just throughout the day, if you'll just ride the wave of their questions, you can have mm-hmm. so many meaningful interactions that op- keep the door open to them wanting to come yes. back to you with us. So asking questions, I can just tell you, that works. And it's hard for us to kind of reorient to get into that habit, but it's so important. Um, But I want to ask you, I'm sure, I know because I have, I mean, we've talked a little bit and I have other friends who are involved in apologetics uh, training with with kids or training parents to teach their kids. And there's a lot of pushback from atheists when you start to do Mm -hmm. something like this. And I'm curious what type of pushback you get from atheists, but also, I, I mean, I probably can guess what the number one thing 
is. And I'm sure atheists are saying to you, you're just teaching people to indoctrinate their children. So how would you respond to that? Yes. So that is the number one pushback that we get, especially online. And the way that I respond is saying, you know, if we were just teaching our kids Christianity and not teaching them to think, you know, not teaching them how to see that Christianity lines up with reality. Yes. Giving them one option and saying, you have to believe this, that's indoctrination. And Sometimes, you know, in the Christian community, that's what we do. We don't give kids the opportunity to think, you know, back, this is 10 years ago now, but back in 2011, when Barna came out with the research that they reported in the book, You Lost Me, one of the top six reasons that young adults left the faith is they said that it was shallow, that it was mm. anti-intellectual. So sometimes we do give kids just this indoctrinated version of Christianity. And so my response then to the atheist is if we're giving kids the skills that they need to think well, you know, they're going to have the opportunity then to evaluate even the truth claims of Christianity. Mm. And that's what we want, yeah. you know, because as I, I'm a Christian because I am thoroughly convinced that Jesus rose from the grave. And if that weren't true, you know, even, even in scripture, the apostle Paul writes, you know, that, that we, we of all people are most to be pitied, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if this is not yeah. true. And so I'm a Christian because I believe it is true. And so my goal in this is to teach kids to think well, because I do genuinely believe that when they think well, and when they evaluate the truth claims that we find in our world, they will find Christianity lining up with reality. Do you think it's also important to expose kids to other worldviews so that they I, I'm sure as a part of training them to think critically about what they believe, a part of that it, involved in that is going to be taking a look at what other people all over the world believe. So uh, in your uh, training and in, in the materials you provide on your website, you have a blog. We're going to talk about the curriculum you came up with in a little bit. But um, what is the, the value or the importance of actually teaching kids like, hey, this is what Buddhists believe. This is what Hindus believe. Yes. So there's a couple of different valuable things in teaching kids what other worldviews believe and having them interact with people from different worldviews. I mean, part of it's loving our neighbor, <laughs> you yeah. know, in actually exposing our kids, you know, there are people that have different beliefs than we do. And according to our beliefs, you know, or according to Christianity, every single person is made in God's image, which means every single person with no matter their worldview, no matter their status, you know, like their age, their gender, you know, their, their ethnicity, their abilities is made in the image of God. So this person is worth getting to know this person is worth investing in. So just from a Christian perspective, you know, exposing our kids to different cultures, to different worldviews is highly valuable. And then um, uh, when I'm explaining this to uh, to people, I, I like to give this analogy. Um, there's, there's this analogy that is running around in Christian circles for a while that kind of makes people, I think, a little bit hesitant towards exposing our kids to other worldviews. And the analogy goes like this. When federal agents are trained to detect counterfeit, they are not shown every single form of counterfeit that is out there. They're simply shown the true currency. So that way, when they encounter a counterfeit, they're able to detect it right away. 
And so therefore the analogy goes, we don't need to expose our kids to the teachings of other worldviews. We just need to expose them to scripture. Therefore, mm. when they encounter another worldview, they'll be able to detect it right away because they're so grounded in scripture. And now this analogy is good up to a point because mm -hmm. we do know as Christians that we are commanded, you know, to instruct our kids in scripture. We're in instructed to instruct them in sound doctrine and theology. We're instructed to talk to them about these things, you know, like as we get up, as we walk throughout the day, as we lie down to bed at night. And so that is accurate. However, this analogy contains a faulty presupposition. And this analogy presupposes that federal agents are already thoroughly convinced that there is only one true form of currency. Mm. And that true form of currency is printed and backed by the U.S. government. Now, that's a fair presupposition when we're talking about mm -hmm. uh, federal agents, because even counterfeiters believe there's only one true form of currency. They just choose not to play by the law. <laughs> However, yeah. when we're talking about our kids, you know, developmentally, when our children are seven years of age and under, the way their minds have been designed is they're going to trust every single thing that we yeah. say because we are the primary influencers in their lives. And that's the way God designed it. And that's a good thing, you know, because when our kid's about to touch the stove and we say, no, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they need to listen to us and not ask why. Um, but once they developmentally are around eight, nine years of age, they no longer just take our word as gospel truth because it's a natural developmental stage. And as they get older, they continue, you know, to become more independent, which is what we want. They continue to, to grow in their ability to think and evaluate things, which is what we want. So in this analogy, when we say, you know, all our kids need is the Christian worldview, we're presupposing that they're already thoroughly convinced that there's only one true worldview right. and that's Christianity. And so we, that's not a fair assumption in the day in which we are living. I Guinness has this quote that I love, and he says, contrast is the mother of clarity. I always find that I wonder at the gospel more when I see the alternatives. Mm. And that's what we want for our kids. We want them to be exposed to other worldviews so they can build relationships with people so that they cannot be afraid, but so they can also see the truth and goodness and beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ through comparing it to the way that other worldviews believe what they believe about what's wrong with the world, mm -hmm. what's the solution, what's the nature of reality, all of these things. We want them to see the truth and goodness and beauty through comparison. That's really good. And just a little story from my own life to support what you're saying there. So I think my parents did a really good job in this area because my dad, and I've done a podcast with my dad where everybody can go back and hear his story if you want to in the archives, but he wasn't raised uh, in a gospel-centered Christian home, and he never heard the gospel till he was uh, an adult. And so he was a hippie. He was searching for God. He searched for God through all kinds of Eastern mysticism, New Age, LSD, the Urantia book, you name it. He was looking for God. And I think because he went through so many different arenas before he found the true God and the true gospel, there just wasn't this fear in my house about other worldviews. In fact, my parents regularly took us out on the streets of Hollywood Boulevard to do street evangelism. And listen, if you're doing street evangelism on Hollywood Boulevard on Halloween, you're <laughs> going to meet some people from some radically different worldviews. I spoke with Satanists. I spoke with atheists. I spoke with uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witness. There were just all kinds of different people who believed all kinds of different things. And I even remember growing up and there was a Book of Mormon in, on, in my dad's drawer. Now, it was very 
very we we knew that that was not correct, but we there was no fear over it. My dad read it because he mm-hmm. wanted to know what they believed, and so I think that because of that, it really really did insulate me from a lot of false ideas. But mm-hmm. that is so interesting what you said about the false premise in the analogy, because as you were giving it in relation to the worldviews, I remember thinking that an analogy works a lot better just within the context of Christianity and learning to spot a false version mm-hmm. of Christianity, yes. because that's really what a counterfeit is, is it's not an entirely different thing. It's actually a false version of one thing that's you know actually has a definition and, and is true in reality. And so um, that that's a very in- interesting uh, point there you made, that, that you really can't com- compare that analogy with other worldviews, because those technically speaking, aren't really counterfeits of the real thing. Well, in some ways they are, but they're just entirely different worldviews. But, you know, I want to, we talked about the pushback you get from atheists. Now, I know that you've also, I've seen it, you get some pushback from Christian parents as well. And uh, one particular blog post you wrote, which I, by the way, thought was absolutely fantastic, was a blog post you wrote about the movie Frozen 2. And the blog post was called Five Conversations to Have with Your Kids After Seeing Frozen 2. And I want to talk through this blog post a little bit because I think these were such great points. And this is what I did. I took my daughter to see Frozen 2. I know a lot of Christian parents opted not to. But I had talked with her a lot about worldviews already. And I was so thankful that just within the first five minutes of the movie, she was able to recognize some of those other worldviews that we had already talked about. And then, you know, there's this one part where Olaf makes a bunch of truth claims. He, you know, he says, do turtles breathe through their butts? And then he says, water has memory. And he says all these things. And so I said, guys, we're going to go home and we're going to find out the truth about what he was saying. And so you know, it turns out that many turtles do breathe through their butts. And that was kind of funny. My kids, of course, loved that one. But then water has memory. We talked through that one. Does water have memory? Well, that would kind of presume a pantheistic view that God is creation, that God is somehow, you know, existing as the water to be able to have some sort of memory or something like that. And so we were able to talk through those things. But I, I, I love these questions that you came up with to talk with your kids when you take them to see Frozen. But before we get to the questions, I want to ask you, what was the pushback that you were getting from Christian parents? And how do you analyze that? How do you respond to that? Not necessarily what would you say to them, but what would your response be about the claims they were making about even taking your kid to see something like Frozen 2? Yes. So this was, it was funny. This blog post was a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, I wasn't even planning on writing it, but a former student texted me and asked if I wanted to go see it on opening night. And I was like, sure. And like three minutes into the movie, I pulled out my phone and I told her, I was like, I'm not texting. I'm taking notes. Cause I was like, Oh, people are going to have trouble evaluating this one. Yeah. Um, but most of the pushback that I got from this blog post was just people who, um, I'm not sure if they actually read the post, which I'm sure you found a lot in the work that you do. A it lot happens. of times look at the, yeah, they look at the title and then write it a happens. comment. You're like, Oh, I don't think you read the post. Yeah. Um, but most people were just saying that I was misguiding people by even suggesting that they bring their child to see this movie. Um, you know, I mean, there was, you know, the, the nice person who's like, I think this is really unwise. And then there's, you know, the person that was very forceful and was like, you are inviting Satan into people's houses. And I was like, whoa. Um, And so the response to that is I expect that when we're talking about media, that different people are going to have different convictions. You know, I mean, Paul writes about this in Romans, not specifically about entertainment, but about, you know, like 
you know, meat that is eaten, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, sacrificed to idols or not, or people revering one day as more holy than the other, that that we're going to have different convictions as Christians. You know, there's certain things that are black and white, and then there's other areas that are gray. So some people are going to make uh, an informed decision not to take their child to see this movie. Mm -hmm. And other people are going to make an informed decision to take their child. And some people are going to make uninformed decisions, you know, on either end of the spectrum. Um, And so my response would be that, you know, by reviewing a movie, I am never saying that every single parent should take their child to it. You know, I am, I'm not the person who has been given authority over your child. You know, God has given you that responsibility. And if you have thought through it, prayed through it and feel that this is not a good movie for your child to see, then that, you know, that's the decision you need to make. Mm -hmm. Um, But for someone who would just say like any movie, you know, like I don't want my child to ever see a Disney movie. um, I would give a little bit of pushback there. And I, actually just recently encountered this at a conference that I was speaking Mm. at with a dad that came up to me and he's like, we don't allow any Disney in our house because we don't want our kids to, you know, create a, develop an appetite for Mm. that. And, you know, as we were talking, I said, I think that, that, you know, you're very wise in understanding that you are helping to develop the appetite that your children um, are going to have for the rest of their lives for the type of entertainment that they, you know, they take in. I said, however, I think in the culture that we're living, it's almost impossible for your daughters not to be exposed to this. You know I mean? Even just walking down the street, you're going to hear somebody's car radio, you Mm -hmm. know, Airing, you know, the Disney Channel radio. So I said, you know, we we don't need to develop an appetite as in show kids five movies a week. But I think what's really wise is, again, to give them these transferable skills, to get them in the habit of they sit down in front of a screen, you know, like whether it's a TV, a phone, a, you know, in a movie theater. And then we have these intentional conversations with them. You know, like, mm. what did you think about that? you know, this character, what they did, does that align with truth? Like, was Mm -hmm. that actually a right decision? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the lines to this song or the line that this character said, you know, does that align with the biblical worldview? If not, where does it come from? So that they're in this habit. My mom, um, she did this with me when I was younger. She didn't so much ask questions, but she would kind of more tell us things, but it was still very valuable because that's what got me into the habit of evaluating things. You know, every time we would watch a Disney movie, she would pause at a certain portion and say, okay, we're going to talk about what was just said. And that was so valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I would encourage parents just to like, yes, God has given you the job of determining what's healthy and what's not for your kids, but please don't completely isolate them um, because that's going to leave them, you know, really in a place where they're very vulnerable (laughs) when they one day are exposed. I like to give the analogy of hand sanitizer. I am a germaphobe, like a complete germaphobe. When I was in first grade, my teacher read us this book called Germs Make Me Sick. And I washed my hands so much after that, they started bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> like my mom started calling like child psychologists because she didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, but my first year of teaching, I got sick a lot, like every first year teacher. And then your second year, you're supposed to get sick a little bit last third year. You're supposed to be immune. Well, my second year of teaching, I got sick even more. My third year of teaching, before the end of the first semester, I had had 10 sinus infections. Wow. So eventually, I went to the doctor and I was like, okay, clearly there's something going on <laughs> you know, below the surface. Like, Why am I getting so sick? And so he asked me a bunch of questions. And eventually, one of the questions he asked me was how often I washed my hands or used hand sanitizer. And I didn't have a sink in my classroom. So I used hand sanitizer all the time, like probably 
50 times a day. (laughs) And what he said is he said, you know, Elizabeth, like hand sanitizer is really good before you're about to eat something or before you're about to rub your eyes or your nose, because, you know, it's going to kill the bacteria or the viruses from getting in there. He's like, but if you're using it that many times a day, what you're doing is you're killing all of the good bacteria. He's like, Mm. and you're not letting your body get exposed to these germs in small doses so that you can actually build immunity. He's like, so what I want you to do is only use the hand sanitizer before you're going to eat or before you need to actually like touch your eyes or your nose. And it was incredible. Once I started doing that, I stopped getting sick. I went like five years without a sinus infection because my body was able to build up immunity. And that's what we want for our kids. Mm -hmm. You know, through healthy guided exposures to different worldviews, we can help them see why they're not true. And we can train them to have evaluating skills. Yeah, no, that's so good. And I think that that point you made is so important where you're saying you are, you know, as parents, it's your job to decide what to expose your kids to and what not to. And I have found just as as a mom that that's going to depend a lot on the kid's maturity level, mm-hmm. how many previous conversations you might have had. Like I probably wouldn't have taken my daughter to see Frozen 2 if we hadn't had uh, lots of conversations about things like pantheism and Eastern and mysticism and meditation and, uh, it, you know, it, it even opened the door for us to talk about animism, which, you mm-hmm. know, is, is something that was present in the movie. Um, so, you know, it definitely depends on the kids' maturity level, what they're able to sort of process, what you know about their personality, their walk with God. So many of these mm-hmm. things, I think, are factors that parents will use. And I'm just going to give an example that really might seem controversial to some of our viewers. And so, you know, I'll just say, you know, please don't email me if you don't like what I'm <laughs> About to say, you can email Elizabeth. Great. <laughs> so I'll send them out. Okay, don't, don't email Elizabeth. Uh, but this is just a choice I made. But as we're recording this, now this will probably come out in a couple months, but as we're recording this, it's Pride Month. So it's it's June, and it's the big push in, in culture uh, for LGBT affirmation, pride. There's My kids cannot get away from it. We limit everything, and they still can't get We I took my daughter to the mall yesterday, and she walked in a store, and the mall Models were um, transgender, and they have the rainbows mm-hmm. and the T-shirts and everything. And so it, it's it, like you said, you can't keep your kid from being exposed to it. Now, my daughter is very mature for her age. We've had lots of discussions about this topic. Uh, we we have a very ongoing conversation about that topic. And so she asked me if she could watch the little Disney short that's called Out. And it's a cartoon Mm -hmm. about a man coming out of the closet to his parents. And so I said, you know what? Yeah, we're going to let's watch it. And so we watched Mm -hmm. it and we talked through it. We had a really great discussion afterwards. And one of the questions I like to ask my kids, too, as well as does this line up with reality or does this line up with truth is I always ask them, too, what are the makers of this particular content wanting you to walk away with? What do they want you to basically affirm or deny or celebrate or um, what what are the what are the people that are portrayed as being good and moral doing? What are the people that are portrayed as being sort of, you know, stuffy and and closed minded? What are they doing? What are those behaviors? Let's analyze that stuff in the context Mm -hmm. of truth. And so I did that with her. However, I wouldn't do that with my son. 
My son mm-hmm. has some learning delays, and we're just not there. I don't think he's mature enough to handle seeing that yet. And um, and I think Disney's counting on kids like him seeing this cute cartoon and clicking right. on it, you know. So so I definitely want to affirm what you're saying there. You know, there are going to be certain kids where you might say, no, not yet, or maybe we're just going to mm-hmm. put that. I always say, I try not to say no to my kids to stuff when they want to watch stuff. I'll say, you know, we're going to push the pause button and maybe save that for a little bit later when you're a little mm-hmm. older. So trying to kind of make it make them feel comfortable to ask you that they want to see something, but then judging for sure, based on, you know, who they are and where they're at in their sort of worldview education themselves. But I do want to talk very quickly through this blog post because I think it was so valuable. Of course, that opening scene in Frozen 2, you have the spirits of air and water and fire and earth, and they just kind of permeate uh, the whole movie. And so these spirits call Elsa and she follows them. And so your first point here is what a great opportunity to talk to your kids about the nature of God. So just mm-hmm. give some comments on how we can talk to kids about the nature of God and how that might even circumvent them falling for some sort of a, a false worldview. Yes. So when talking about the nature of God, two really important things that just get so confused in our culture um, are what theologians call transcendence and imminence. Yes. So transcendence just means out side of us, you know, above us, higher than us. So talking to our kids about God being outside of us and above us and higher than us. And an easy way to do this is just when we're reading scripture to our kids, you know, whether it's we're reading through the Psalms or whether we're reading through the gospels, just talking about like, okay, so is God like actually in a tree, Mm. you know, or is he in a rock or is he in an animal or is God actually outside of his creation. And so then to look at passages of scripture, you know, that talk about God, you know, being a sovereign creator, but not, you know, he's not in, (laughs) he's not in anything. And this is something that can be confusing sometimes when we're talking about, you know, the common phrase, like asking Jesus into your heart. Mm. Um, You know, when the Holy Spirit resides in us, he's dwelling in us, but he's not becoming Like, like I am not God when the Holy Spirit resides in me. So that's a really important distinctive to have. And that's so important, you know, especially when we're thinking about this frozen movie or so many things that we find in culture that God is not in air, water, fire, earth, animals, you know, and he's not in humans as in we become him. He can indwell us through the power of his Holy Spirit, but you know, he's not, we don't become God. So that's a really important distinctive, but then also for our kids to understand his imminence, that he is close to us, that God is personal, that he's not just this impersonal spirit, you know, whether we're talking about, you know, some, some spirit that's just kind of guiding, you know, when people say like the universe, you mm-hmm. know, the universe yeah. will guide me, you know, or even just thinking not that deism is that popular nowadays, but you know, some people believe like, yeah, a creator, you know, started the world, got it going, isn't really that close, but like, no, God is close to his creation in that not only did God, the son become God incarnate. You know, not only did he come to earth to save us, but God's Holy Spirit can dwell within us. You know, God knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows when every time a bird falls and dies, like God knows that he's close to his creation. So I think those are two really 
Mm. important things for our kids to understand. And then also uh, the Trinity, which is more difficult to talk about. I was listening to your interview with Krista Bontrager (laughs) the other day, and you guys were talking about, you're like, if you have an analogy, it's definitely a heresy. It's heresy for sure. (laughs) Um, But just talking about God being three in one, that that's Mm -hmm. a real distinctive when we're thinking about the difference between Christianity and Islam. That's one of the main differences in the nature of God. So I think those three things are really important conversations to have with our kids, both when we're taking them through scripture and then when we're seeing different views of God or some higher power in the media. Yeah. And in progressive Christianity, this is so important too, because Mm -hmm. uh, people like Richard Rohr are sort of teaching the reverse of what you just said. When you said, you know, when the Holy Spirit indwells us, we don't become God. Well, Richard Rohr teaches that God became creation. You know, when Mm -hmm. he created the universe, uh, in fact, there's a quote, Richard Rohr says, God loves things by becoming them. So the type Mm. of panentheism that Richard Rohr and some others in the progressive movement teach are actually telling people, you know, you can look at, like, Elizabeth, I can look at you and say, Elizabeth, you are the Christ. I am the Christ. My dog is the Christ. And um, and, and so I think that that just a firm foundation of the nature of God is so important. And interestingly, you mentioned deism. And it's true, there aren't a lot of people walking around today saying, I'm a deist, you know. (laughs) But I think a ton of even people who call themselves Christians, are sort of functional deists in that they may not know that word, they might not know the ins and outs of what that worldview entails, but they sort of have that view of God, that God just sort of, he created, but he's not really going to get involved in your life unless you need him for something. You know, he's not going to worry about who you sleep with or what you do with your body, but just, you know, he's, he's like out there somewhere, but it's kind of up to you. I mean, I think that's sort of like a a cousin of deism that a lot of people are living out, but they may not know what it's called or where it comes from, which again is so important to teach kids what the real true nature of God is. So Mm -hmm. that like when when somebody's teaching something that's not in line with that, they'll go, wait, that's not right. So I think that's so good. And then your second one here is um, how do we determine right from wrong? What a great conversation to have with kids, especially in the context of a movie like Frozen, because in Frozen 1, you have, of course, Elsa famously saying, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, you know, let it go. And then, of course, in the second movie, it's into the unknown. And, um, you know, just so so talk about that, talking to kids about how do we determine what's right and wrong? That's a big one. Yeah, this is a question that I love to ask kids. And it's so interesting to hear their response because as you start to ask them more questions, they really quickly are able to see, you know, the truth that right and wrong are objective moral truths. Mm -hmm. Um, So one question that I love to ask kids is, are right and wrong truths that are true for everyone? You know, or are they feelings? Mm. Are they feelings that are just going to change from person to person to person? And actually in the worldview class that I was teaching at my school, I would actually directly teach my students this. And then I would have them evaluate these ideas. And the first time that I taught my students, you know, just more of like this new age, you know, like you follow your heart, you earn good karma, you know, your heart is never going to you know, misguide you. One of my students raised his hand and he was like, Miss you, I am super confused. And Mm. I was like, well, what are you confused about? And he's like, okay, so like, let's tell me that my heart, or let's say my heart tells me that I need this new video game. And my dad's heart tells him, I don't need this new video game. Then who's right? And I was like, oh, so you mean our hearts are going to tell us different things? 
at different times? And he was like, yeah, like all the time. And so we were able to then talk through that and, you know, like, and then, then ask questions like, okay, so what if somebody's heart tells them that the right thing to do is to speak really unkindly to someone else, you know, or what if someone who's convicted of murder, you know, says like, well, that's what felt good for me. Or what if a whole society decides, like what if a whole country decides that killing one certain type of person is okay? Mm. Does it suddenly become okay? And then having kids talk through these questions, they very quickly realize like, no, like morals are real. Like they're real (sighs) things. And that's something, you know, when we're thinking about an atheistic or a naturalistic or materialistic worldview that believes that only the physical realm is real, that means that Morals aren't real. They're just human inventions because morals, you know, justice, truth, Mm -hmm. fairness, those things are metaphysical. They're not actually physical realities. And even though kids, you know, like they'll never be able or we haven't trained them, you know, to talk about metaphysics, Mm -hmm. but, you know, they can really quickly understand like, no, like right and wrong are actually real. We don't get to determine what's right and what's wrong. You know, it's the the realities outside of us. And so it's just so it's I get so excited when I see kids pick up on truth so quickly. Yes, that's good. <laughs> and I, I want to hit one more point from this blog post because it's really powerful and it's it's a powerful point the movie makes that I think our kids are going to encounter more and more of this type of idea. And and so basically that's your point number 4 which is asking your kids the question, are we the ones we've been waiting for? This is the whole I am enough sort of barrage of messages that are being aimed right at our kids. Like you are perfect just as you are. You are who you've been waiting for. Everything you've ever been looking for, you can find within yourself. And so in the plot of Frozen 2, you know, you write here that the plot centers on Elsa and company journeying north to find a missing spirit that can unite the other four spirits. But then when Elsa gets there, she realizes that she's the one she's been waiting for her whole life. And and then she's told, step into your power. Now, this is like, I mean, I've done podcasts on Glennon Doyle's Untamed, mm-hmm. Jen Hatmaker's Fierce Free, Full of Fire. I mean, in not so many words, of course, that is the message that is selling all the books right now. The, in fact, mm-hmm. I would say Untamed and Girl, Wash Your Face, these books were on the not just Amazon bestseller, but New York Times bestseller list, some of the most popular books written in the years they were written just in the last, you know, and they were written in the last five years. And I think that the main theme of those books is this, is what Elsa did. She went and discovered, oh, I don't need anything outside of myself. I just need to do it myself. So talk about having that conversation with your kids. Yes, that is such, I knew, um, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I knew exactly what you were going to bring up as the last point, because that is so huge. And it's just this false narrative that is woven throughout everything in our culture. You know, even talking about this being pride month, you know, that's what this is all about. You know, find the true you express the true you, you know, like don't give in to anybody who's not going to celebrate the true you. And so one really important conversation to have with our kids is going to be about the nature of man, you know, because part of this 
you know, this, you know, like you are enough, like that's not true. And praise God, it's not because if I'm the one that I've been waiting for, like, I'm going to be really depressed Yeah. <laughs> um, because try as I might, like I cannot rescue myself from anything. Yeah. Um, and so one conversation to have with our kids is about being created in the image of God, that that is so valuable because that's what this narrative is missing. It's you know missing that, that we are, we are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly valuable, but has nothing to do with our ability. That's has right. Nothing to do with like washing our face and standing up for our rights. It has to do that we are created in the image of God. And that is the that is the immensely beautiful thing. Of, I mean, one of the, the many immensely beautiful things about the Christian worldview is that I don't have to work for that. Mm-hmm. Like no one by, you know, like by not liking me or by imprisoning me or by maiming me, you know, like anything, no one can take away that value, nor can I even lose it by something that I do. Like, and so to have our kids just understand that is hugely valuable. And even to have those conversations, you know, like when they're mad at somebody, you know, or they're frustrated at somebody, you know, not in the heat of the moment, but later to circle back and and to talk about like, okay, so how is that person created? That person is an image bearer. That mm-hmm. person is an image bearer, you know, like until we just say that constantly, you know, even to ourselves as adults, when we get yeah. frustrated with someone like, yeah, we're frustrated, but that is an image bearer, deeply loved by God. So that's the first part of the conversation. And then the second one is about our brokenness, is about our fallen state. And this this portion of it is very practical. And I think sometimes unintentionally, we um, we breathe life into this false narrative of you can rescue yourself in the way that we discipline our children. Mm. Because sometimes we just give them the idea that if you just tried harder, mm. <laughs> you know, you would be able to do this. And now there is a component to which, yes, we, you know, like if someone has a problem hitting their sibling or lying, like, yes, you do need to put in the work, <laughs> you know, yeah. you do, yeah, do the work. On our, yeah, <laughs> we do need to put in the work to do that. But on our own strength, you know, living rightly is not possible. So yes, we need to put in the work and we also need to rely on God's grace and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So I think in our discipline of our children, we just need to be really intentional that we're always pointing them back to the gospel. Um, A book that's really good just at kind of laying out this format is called Arlo and the Great Big Cover-Up. It's probably for kids like two to seven years old, but it just kind of goes through like, you know, gospel-centered discipline. It's just a picture book for kids about this kid that writes on his wall and then the way that his mom disciplines him. But I think it's really important that we're really careful not to breed into this false narrative of like, if you just try harder, you know, like mm-hmm. you'll be the you'll be the good little boy or good little girl that I want you to be. Um, so to talk with our kids about their brokenness, about everyone's brokenness and our need for Jesus and just the freedom that is found in him rescuing us from our sins. I know that to progress Aggressives and to so many other people that just sounds, you know, yeah. like it's such, you know, like it's such a stench of death. Yeah. They <laughs> think really, it's child, they think it's child abuse to teach your kids yeah. that they're sinners and that Jesus had to die on the cross for their sins. I mean, I don't want to overstate it. Certainly I would say it's safe to say many progressives, uh, there's blog posts you can find where they're, they're saying things like that. This is, this is child abuse to tell your kid yeah. that your kid's a sinner. Yeah. But it's, it's just so interesting. I always wonder how, um, 
people that believe that parent, just because you yeah. don't have to spend more than 10 minutes with a three-year-old to understand, yeah. Yeah. you know, that without correction, like things are yeah. not going to go well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So anyway, I think just to answer that question, you know, that we're not the ones we've been waiting for to, to teach and to have discussions and to have questions and practical applications of the image of God. And then the same thing about our fallen state, because we need to understand that we are immensely valuable and nothing can Mm -hmm. take that value away, but we are also completely broken and nothing can repair that brokenness except for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I find that so freeing just when I when I talk to my kids about repentance, because, you know, mm-hmm. some kids have a very sensitive conscience. They know that they've done yeah. something wrong. And if you just keep giving them the message, no, you're perfect just as you are, you're good. Yeah, maybe you made a mistake, but you just need to, to do better next time. Like, that doesn't go away. But when you model mm-hmm. repentance, when you teach repentance, that brings freedom. You mm-hmm. know, you have freedom to say, I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. I have an advocate yeah. before the Father. I love that from First John. My dear children, I'm writing to you um, that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin. You have an advocate with the Father, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, the righteous. I love that because we have an advocate that that mm-hmm. stands in the gap for us and um, and paid that price for us so that we can be basically like it's him, his perfection yes. that fixes us. And I, I think Ellie Beth Stecky has a great line in her book, um, you're not enough and that's okay. And I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have it in front of me, but she basically says the self can't both be the problem and the solution. Mm-hmm. You know, you keep looking for a solution yeah. from the same place the problem came from and that's not going to work. And so I think that's a great point. Um, but I want to talk about this new curriculum you have. Um, and we have a special surprise for our listeners and viewers today with a little bit of a discount. But um, Elizabeth, tell us about this curriculum that people can get. Is this, first of all, is it something that they can get for homeschool? or for churches or just for families or all of that, let us know about it. Yeah. So the answer to your question is yes, it's for everyone, for families, for churches, for Christian schools. And just as a little bit of a backstory, kind of the second half of my story is once I realized that the problem with my students was that they just weren't trained to think well and to carefully evaluate ideas, that's when I started looking for materials just to equip them to do this. And everything that I found was geared towards high school on up. Like there was a few middle school Mm -hmm. things, but nothing at the third grade level, which I was teaching third grade at the time. So what I did is I I was like, well, I guess I can start reading books, you know, and translating them down for kids. And so that's when I got into apologetics and I started doing that. And I just created an after school class for third through sixth graders. And what we do is we would look at a big question that any worldview has to answer and just have the kids explore, like, you know, the question, what is truth or how did life begin? Or how can I tell right from wrong? Like big questions like this. And then just explore what do we find in the world around us? And after that, we then dive into, okay, what does scripture teach about? this? And what do other worldviews in our culture teach about this? And then I'd have kids compare and contrast and then evaluate what beliefs actually line up with reality. And I was just hoping that kids would you know, start thinking when they watched a movie. And that happened. Mom started calling me and saying, "Um, my son is wanting to pause family movie night and evaluate the character's worldview. Wow. (laughs) Great. (laughs) But I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? And then teachers were coming down to my classroom from the upper grades and were like, 
how are you getting the students in this after-school class to think this deeply about mathematics and science and history and literature? And I'm like, I'm not teaching them mathematics, science, history, or literature. I'm just teaching them how to evaluate ideas. And then they just took it and ran with it. You know, they started wow. taking ownership of their education and really evaluating every idea that came across their path. And so when other people got wind of what was going on, people started contacting me saying, how can we get our hands on your materials? And I was like, you can't, like, I'm a third grade teacher. Yeah. I'm not a publishing house. I'm not an author. Um, but several for several years that kept happening. So eventually that's when I went back to school at Biola because I was like, okay, if if I'm eventually going to publish this, like I need to make sure I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so I got the master's in apologetics and then I left teaching after that to start foundation um, where we create curricular resources for families and for Christian schools and for churches just to get kids critically evaluating every idea that they encounter. So our first year of material is a comparative worldview curriculum where we actually compare these ideas just like I did in that first year with the students in my, in my school. And then the new materials that just released are a careful thinking curriculum. And basically what we do is we have kids go through the basics of truth, knowledge. We call them rules for careful thinking. It's basically the laws of logic. Then we look at mistakes in careful thinking or logical fallacies. We look at how to evaluate whether or not something's true. And then we look at how do we communicate the truth in love. So once we understand whether or not something is true, how do we actually have a conversation with someone else about it? How do we ask good questions? How do we listen how do we speak the truth in love? And so I'm just really excited about, you know, the materials we've had for a while and these new ones because we've gotten so much great feedback from parents and educators and pastors just on what kids are able to know and understand and be able to do uh, because they've gone through our first year of content. Wonderful. So what can uh, our listeners, where can they find the curriculum? And then I think you're going to offer them a little discount today, aren't you? Yes. Yes. So if you go to foundationworldview.com, you can find out all the information. We have lots of free resources there. We have blog posts, we have webinars, different things like that. And then you can also check out our two different years of material. And by the time this uh, podcast airs are probably our third series. We actually have a series coming out for four to seven-year-olds, um, just a little mini series on truth that should be out. But yes, if you um, use the coupon code ALISA, you'll get 10% off of any license that you purchase. Awesome. So use that coupon code. Does it have to be all caps or just doesn't matter? Uh, all caps. All yep. caps, ALISA. Okay. So go to foundationworldview.com. Use the code ALISA, all caps, to get 10% off of your license for the curriculum. Uh, honestly, I can't I can't tell you how highly I think of Elizabeth and what she's doing and all the work she's doing. And in a moment, we're going to do a special little bonus episode for our Patreon supporters. It's sort of the backstage hangout where Patreon supporters get to ask the questions specific questions. And so we're going to do that in just a moment. If you're interested in joining our Patreon community, you can go to patreon.com slash Elisa Childers. Take a look at the different tiers and the benefits you receive uh, from supporting at the different tiers. And then maybe you'll get access to this special little backstage hangout episode with Elizabeth. But Elizabeth, as we close out this portion of our discussion, what word would you leave Christian parents, aunts and uncles, godparents, youth pastors, everybody who's got a kid in their life? What's the number one thing that they can do just even today to start getting their kids to think critically about what they believe? Yes, that's a great question. And it's going to be answered with a question yeah. <laughs> um, that we've talked about before that, you know, questions 
starting to ask our kids questions is one of the best things that we can do because brain researchers have found that our minds learn the most when we're thinking, obviously, and we think the most actually when we're talking. And so oh. if we're just lecturing our kids, you know, their minds are not as actively engaged where if we ask them questions, they're required to think through a response and then verbalize it. And so then not only do we get a sneak peek behind what they're actually thinking and what they actually believe is true so that we can have follow-up conversations conversations, but we're making sure that their minds are actively engaged so that they're thinking, why do I believe that is true? Or why do I think that thought? So I would say questions, questions, questions. Good. That's good. Well, I want to thank my guest, Elizabeth Urbanowitz today uh, for just giving us so much great topics to think about and how we can help equip our kids to think critically about what they believe, to think critically about other worldviews, other types of false gospels that they're going to encounter for sure as they go out into the world. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe, click the bell icon. That will let you know every time we release a new video. Of course, it always helps if you comment. That just kind of helps us beat those algorithms. If you're listening on audio platforms, leaving good reviews is so helpful. And if you found out about this podcast on social media, of course, giving a like and a share is helpful. Leaving a comment, all of that stuff helps get us uh, get us into the hands of more people. It helps get it into the news feeds of more and more people. So thanks so much for watching today, and we'll see you next time. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.